Good morning. Please take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, um, there, there's some out on the information table. Um, open up your, your phone, uh, pull out the app or go online. It's, it's helpful for you to actually have the Word of God in front of you as we're going through. I'm going to put a lot of the Scripture up on the screen today, but it is so important for you to see um, see from God's Word what we're working through today. It's going to be a little bit of a different sermon. I'll just let you know ahead of time. Um, as opposed to just focusing on one small passage, we're looking at two chapters. Two chapters that I have had the privilege of preaching on throughout the year, 2022. Um, believe it or not, it was January of this year that I started in my uh, Matthew series through chapters 8 and 9, and uh, enjoyed working through that through this year. If you'll remember, chapters 8 and 9 include uh, some nine different healing miracles by Jesus that are split up into three sets of three. And our text today uh, includes that final set of three healing miracles, chapter 9, verse 18 through 34. But uh, as I said, we're going to be looking um, over all of chapters 8 and 9 um, in order to understand the, the purpose of Jesus' healings. Why did he heal people as part of his ministry? As I was reading through chapter 9, this passage that I'm going to read in just a moment, uh, in preparation for their sermon, I was reminded that these stories recorded by Matthew include only a fraction of the details that are included in Mark and Luke's gospel. Most of the time, um, Matthew just includes kind of the basic facts. Um, and I think this helped me realize that while each miracle is significant, Matthew here, his, his purpose, he wants, to, he wants us to get kind of the cumulative effect of nine healing miracles packed into these two chapters. In other words, for Matthew, the main point isn't always just in each story, but in the threads that connect them. My, uh, my oldest son, Josiah, uh, just started doing um, a string art this, uh, this week. I was not very familiar with this before. Some of you may be. It's where you put these pins on a board, and then you connect them with a string and make a piece of art. And so uh, here's one that's half done. Actually, I actually have a picture up there because this is probably hard to see. That's probably hard to see, too. Uh, the point is here that you put, <clears throat> you put all these pins in a certain pattern, um, and uh, however, when you at this point in the stage of the, the project, it, it may be a little bit difficult to, to see what the big picture is. However, when you start connecting those threads to the different pins, um, as with this board, which is complete, the picture kind of becomes clear, right? Um, this is, he did a great job here with this one. There's, um, I've seen people that have done incredible um, uh, string artwork before. But this is, is kind of what we're trying to do here today. I, I want to try to connect the dots here in Matthew 8 and 9 by using different threads, um, themes, seeing how they connect to each individual he healing miracle of Christ. I'm going to trace four different threads throughout these nine healing miracles, four purposes found throughout those nine miracles. And my goal is that by the end, you're going to be able to step back and look at these chapters, chapters 8 and 9, 
with a greater appreciation for the beauty of Christ and what these healing miracles show us about, about who he is, about his personality, about his power. So let's begin with prayer. Uh, just ask God to help us understand these threads, these purposes of Jesus' healing miracles so that we can, we can see the beauty of God's big picture, the, the full picture of, of who Jesus is of what he came to do. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, for his perfect life on earth and death for our redemption. Thank you for his healing of people when he was here on earth with demonstrate his power, but also his, his mercy and grace. And I pray that um, as a result of looking into your word, we would gain a better understanding, appreciation for who, who you are revealed in the person of Christ. And we would magnify you, for you are worthy of our praise and our worship. We pray through Christ. Amen. So as we talk about Jesus' four purposes for healing, uh, we're going to reference each of the stories throughout chapters 8 and 9, but um, since we're focusing our attention on um, this one passage here that we haven't covered yet in Matthew, I'm going to go ahead and read um, verses 18 through 35. It's a little bit of a lengthy passage, uh, but we'll, we'll start in verse 18, read down through verse 35 together. While he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. For she said to herself, if I only touch um, his garment, I will be made well. I just said that, didn't I? Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put us outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went throughout, through all that district. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it, but they went, out, went away and spread his fame throughout all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The first purpose of Jesus' healings, as demonstrated in, in this passage and throughout chapters 8 and 9, was to display his mercy. Jesus' healings 
displayed his mercy. And we see this throughout his healing ministry in two major categories. First of all, his compassionate touch. I almost decided to focus an entire sermon on this one point because it's, I think it's so clear here in Matthew and, and it's, it's astonishing. The fact that the creator of the universe would choose to, to come to earth and then reach out and touch those who are poor and needy and sick is amazing. Let's look back at four of the miracles in Matthew 8 and 9 and, and hi, that highlight Jesus' compassionate touch. First of all, we'll start in, in Matthew 8. There at the beginning, Jesus is approached by an unclean leper, an outcast of society that was ceremonially unclean. And yet verse 3 says what? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am, I will, I, I am willing to make you clean. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Perhaps for the first time in many years, the leper is touched. Jesus heals the man, displays his mercy through a compassionate touch. Then down in verse 14, Jesus enters Peter's house, sees Peter's mother-in-law sick with fever, and verse 15 says, he touched her hand, and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. You need to realize, he didn't need to touch her hand. After all, the story right before this is of the faith of the centurion, where Jesus simply speaks a word of authority and the man's servant is healed back at home. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't need to touch people to heal them, but he does so to display his mercy, his compassion, his care. Now look over with me at chapter 9, verse 18. One of the stories I read a few moments ago, a ruler came to, comes to Jesus and, and kneels before him. This is um, Mark and Luke reveal that the man's name is Jairus. He's actually a ruler of the synagogue. But he comes and he worships Jesus, pleading with him to come and lay his hand on his daughter and make her well. It says that Jesus gets delayed en route to the man's house by a, another needy person, which we'll mention later. But he finally arrives at the house and verse 25 says what? He went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. With each of these stories, Jesus has displayed mercy through his compassionate touch of healing. And he's done it to the least valued in their society, the leper, the, the, a woman, a child. But Jesus makes a point to show care, compassion, because that's who he is. All right, one more. Um, in verse 27, chapter 9, it says that two blind men were following Jesus, and, and they were crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. So Jesus shows them mercy. And in kindness, verse 29 says, Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. He comes close to these men, touches their eyes, and, and their eyes are opened. Jesus' healing ministry displayed his mercy and that he reached out, he touched people with compassion. And it's not restricted to these four stories. You could think with me of, of others throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 19, uh, people brought their children to Jesus, says that he placed his hands on them. He prayed for them. In Mark 9, Jesus encounters this boy tormented by, a demonic, uh, by demonic epileptic seizures. He's convulsed and, and he lay as dead. And verse 27, chapter Mark 9 says, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. You know the story of Peter, who's, who's about to drown there as he as he turns and sees the waves and the storm walking there on the water. And what does Jesus do but take his hand? Jesus' touch of compassion and healing 
displayed his mercy. A few weeks ago, uh, one of my boys uh, fell off our, um, our play set. Yeah, I won't go into the detail about why he fell off, uh, details surrounding that, but needless to say, um, he fell off and, um, and he, he hurt himself pretty bad. He, he landed on his head. Um, I'm not sure what he hit, but what he did hit, um, it, it kind of gashed the back of his head, a small cut, and it was starting to bleed. And so he's, he's freaking out and he, he starts running across the yard. You know, there's blood kind of pouring out of the back of his head over his shoulders. And, and I'm walking across the yard and um, you want to guess what I did? I didn't faint. No. Um, I, uh, I didn't keep him at a distance. You know, let's analyze the situation and consider what you could have done better, you know, to, to not fall. I, I rushed over to him and I, I wrapped my arm around him. I specifically, I put my hand on the back of his head to stop it, to stop it from bleeding. You display care and compassion for somebody by, by touching them. To people that are in pain, you put your arm around them. Jesus' healing touch displays his mercy and his compassion. Have you ever found yourself in such a sad state of, of sickness, loneliness, or pain, or depression? Maybe you're in that right now. And you just wish that Jesus was, was there to display his mercy through a touch of healing or just compassion. Why, why, could, why couldn't I be there for a century and have Jesus there to, to touch me? Dane Ortland, um, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, says, Jesus Christ is closer to you today than he was to the sinners and sufferers he spoke with and touched in his earthly ministry. Through his spirit, Christ's own heart envelopes his people with an embrace nearer and tighter than any physical embrace could ever achieve. His actions on earth in a body reflected his heart. The same heart now acts in the same ways towards us, for we are now his body. And I remind you of two things this morning. Number one, if you have the Holy Spirit within you, if you have, you have put your faith in Christ, you, you have the comforter, the spirit of Christ that will envelope you in a loving embrace. Christ is with you when you're hurting when you're lonely, when you're fearful. He draws near to those who cry out to him. Just as Jesus' healing miracles display his mercy his, and his heart to draw near to people that express their need to him in faith. Jesus' heart is to draw near to you in mercy and compassionate care. Secondly, Christ also displays his mercy and compassionate touch when the church as his body reaches out to care for you. We are the hands and feet of Jesus on earth. He describes the church as his body. And so when you're, when you're walking in the spirit and you show kindness and love to others by giving them a hug or helping them with a financial need or serving them, praying for them, you're not just reflecting the love of God. You're, you're the channel of his mercy and his kindness. I realize some of you um, aren't touchy people, um, kind of need to re res respect people's privacy and personal space, but so sometimes people just need a hug. <laughs> they need a personal touch. Physical expression 
of the love of Christ. What better place than in the family of God? Jesus displayed his mercy through healing and a touch of compassion. Now, back to my story about uh, my oldest boy laying there on the ground. Um, so we kind of stopped the bleeding. We're, um, we're talking about what to do. By the way, thankful for medical professionals, um, even some that we have in our church that were able to kind of give us advice what to do. Um, in that moment, when he's lying on the ground, someone whispered the word hospital um, and the word staples. And, um, and unfortunately, he overheard those words. Um, without the proper context to understand what that, what all that meant. And he, terrified, um, it was not good. And I can tell you, um, there is something just as important as a compassionate touch for a hurting person. That's comforting words. Comforting words. Jesus' healings displayed his mercy through his compassionate touch, but secondly, through his comforting words. I want to show you that from Matthew 8 to 9. Let's go back to chapters 8 and 9. Look four times where we find Jesus' comforting words in his healing ministry. Back near the beginning of chapter 8, a centurion comes to Jesus. He's appealing for him to come and heal his sick servant who has suffered terribly, suffering terribly. And Jesus responds with his comforting words, I will come and heal him. Later in the chapter, Jesus and his disciples are on the Sea of Galilee, caught in the middle of a storm. His disciples are terrified, but Jesus is sleeping. They wake him with fear. They're going to die. And he says to them, why are you afraid? His words might not be, they might not seem encouraging, but, but they are comforting because Jesus implies there's nothing to fear. Look over at the beginning of Matthew 9, where some people brought a paralytic to Jesus. They led him down through the roof of the house that he was in. And Matthew says that when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Later, he would, he would also give physical healing to the paralyzed man. But here, Jesus provides comforting words and healing for the man's greatest need, the forgiveness of sin. Finally, in our, in our passage today, there in chapter 9, beginning down to verse 20, Jesus is on his way to the house where he's going to heal the, the daughter of the leader of the synagogue, the ruler of the synagogue. Um, but he's delayed when this woman who had a hemorrhage, a discharge of blood for 12 years, comes and, and touches the tassels at the end of Jesus' garment. And once again, Jesus displays his mercy in healing her, and he offers these comforting words. He says, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, the woman was made well. Remember, we're, we're tracing this thread of Jesus' mercy throughout Matthew 8 and 9. But it's a theme that continues throughout all the Gospels. And I want you to be able to see that as you continue to read. Um, here's another quote from Ortland. The most dominant note left ringing in our ears after reading the Gospels. The most vivid and arresting element of the portrait is the way the Holy Son of God moves toward, he touches, he heals, embraces, and forgives those who least deserve it. The Jesus given to us in the Gospels is not simply one who loves, but one who is love. Merciful affections stream from his innermost heart as rays from the sun. Jesus' healings display his mercy. 
If you're here today and you, you question the love and the mercy of God for you, whether that's because of sin and guilt, because of the sickness and pain that plagues you day in and day out, whatever it is, I pray that these passages have opened your eyes to the beautiful display of Jesus' mercy for hurting people, including you. He may not have healed you yet, but remember, you know, that one woman who was sick 12 years before Jesus healed her? Or, or, or the, the ruler's daughter who suffered and then died before Jesus came to her. Jesus' timing for your healing may be different than your planning, but that does not diminish the reality of his mercy. One day, in this life or the next, he will bring healing because Jesus is merciful. Praise God. That was all number one. Jesus' healings displayed his mercy. We'll, we'll be shorter for these other points. Um, and number two, let's look at uh, Jesus' healings, how they verified his identity. Jesus' healings displayed his mercy. Number two, they, they verified his identity. In Matthew 8, 27, Jesus' disciples marveled. They said, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Who is this one? That question is answered throughout chapters 8 and 9, beginning just a few verses later when two demon-possessed men cry out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Jesus verifies his identity as the Son of God by casting out demons. And then when he forgives uh, the sin of the paralyzed man at the beginning of chapter 9, um, just a few verses later, the scribes say to themselves, This man is blaspheming. By claiming to forgive the man's sin, he was claiming to be God. But then he heals the paralytic and he verifies this is in fact the case. Jesus healed with divine authority because he was the son of God. So first of all, his healing verified his identity as the son of God. And yet even as he's, he's um, proving that he has authority as the son of God by healing the man, in Matthew 9, Jesus also reminds us of his humanity by referring to himself as the son of man. Uh, Matthew 9, 6, But that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. His healing miracles, they verify that he is the son of God. They also remind us that he's the son of man. A few verses later, down in verse 12, Jesus describes himself as uh, the physician of souls. The physician of souls. When his disciples are asked why Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus came and healed people's physical sickness to verify his identity as a great physician, the physician of souls. Down in verse 27, two blind men follow Jesus, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. You know, being called the son of David was more than just referencing his physical genealogy, like, you know, people would call me the son of Mark Dalrymple. The son of David was this title of messianic significance, going all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, when God promised to raise up one of David's offspring and establish the throne of his kingdom forever. The son of David was a meaningful title, 
especially on the lips of those blind men, because they knew that the Messiah was promised to bring healing and restoration, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. So Jesus' healing miracles verified his identity as the Son of God, Son of Man, the Physician of Souls, the Son of David, the Messiah. Are you starting to get a picture? If you step back a little bit, a picture of the purposes of Jesus' healings in Matthew. Do you see the some of these thematic threads that connect stories together. Jesus' healings displayed his mercy. They verified his identity. And thirdly, they fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Would you look with me down at Matthew 8, verse 16? Matthew says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word. He healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Um, this is just one of many times in the Gospel of Matthew uh, where Matthew claims that Jesus fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets. If you read through Matthew, you'll see that phrase uh, come up uh, again and again. In this case, it's Jesus' healing that fulfills prophecy given in Isaiah 53, verse 4. We're, um, we're not going to go and, and talk about that in detail. I, I preached a sermon in April, Jesus carried your sin and your sorrow, and I focused in on that passage um, uh, but I mentioned this to show that Jesus' healing fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. Um, it, it authenticated his messianic ministry. People had been waiting for the day when one would come who would bring healing and hope, and Jesus fulfilled that prophecy. John the Baptist was one of those people who knew prophecy well and had placed hope in the Messiah, and yet in Matthew 11, he found himself in prison. I'm mentioning Matthew 11, even that's separate from Matthew 8 and 9, because Matthew 11 um, has reference to all these healing miracles in Matthew 8 and 9. You'll see, just follow me. Matthew 11, verse 2 says, John is, um, he heard the report, John the Baptist heard the report about all that Jesus was doing, and he sent a message to Jesus. He says, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered him, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. Jesus is quoting different parts of Isaiah, especially Isaiah 35, which says, Be strong, fear not, behold your God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. By quoting prophecies from Isaiah, the implication that Jesus is making is, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And I think what's interesting here is that in Matthew 8 and 9, Matthew has actually like cataloged each of those specific miracles that Jesus mentioned. Uh, the blind receive their sight. You can look down in Matthew 8 and 9. The, the, the lame walk, the leper is cleansed, the dead are raised up. The deaf hear, the mute speak, the poor have good news preached to them. Matthew has listed each of those in Matthew 8 and 9 as a fulfillment of prophecy. Isn't this amazing? Hopefully now, when you read through the stories of Jesus healing people in the gospel accounts, you'll understand the, the different threads of significance in what he's doing. He's not just healing the leper. He's displaying mercy with compassion and care. He's not just giving sight to the blind. He's verifying his identity as the son of David, the Messiah. He's not just casting out demons. He's fulfilling prophecy. These are the purposes of Jesus' healing ministry.
before we wrap up um, the final, with the final purpose, I just want to pause here just for a moment. We just referenced a few um, passages in Isaiah, and um, as, as you prepare for Christmas this next Sunday, I want to encourage you to, um, to read some from Isaiah. Um, I'm reading through Prophets Micah and Isaiah right now this month with a group of men uh, doing an online Bible reading plan, and both of those books are just um, packed with, with wonderful prophetic sections that point to Jesus. Um, his first coming as well as his death as a suffering servant. So let me encourage you to especially read through Isaiah 7 through 11. Um, God gives hope and promise that extends beyond the time of Isaiah, 700 years um, to be fulfilled at the birth of Christ. As a result, gives hope 2,000 years later for us today. Let those chapters in Isaiah help you, help prepare you for Christmas this year. All right, finish that. Uh, back to Matthew 8 and 9. Let's finish up with the final purpose for Jesus' healing. This is short, um, even though it's a dominant theme in all of Matthew. And that is that Jesus' healings proved his authority. Jesus' healings proved his authority. If you turn with, turn with me back to um, the beginning of Matthew 8, actually right before that, Matthew 7, verse 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these sayings, speaking of all Matthew 5 through 7, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Matthew 5 to 7 prove his authority by his words, the words that he spoke. And then chapters 8 and 9 prove his authority by the works that he did. And we're not going to read each, of the, each, each account, um, all the miracles. We've already referenced most of them here today. But each healing miracle highlights Jesus' authority. He has authority over leprosy paralysis, fever, demons, storms, sin, disease, death, blindness, muteness. We've talked about this theme before in Matthew, but it's important to remember authority is, is one of Matthew's primary threads that he's tracing throughout his entire gospel account. From his royal genealogy in Matthew 1 to the visit of the wise men, chapter 2, to his teaching about the kingdom in Matthew 5 to 7. The theme of Jesus' authority as, as Messiah and King is, is central um, in Matthew. Jesus' healings proved his authority. So, now that we've traced these four threads throughout Matthew 8 and 9, we viewed these four purposes of Jesus' healing one at a time up close we just step back for a moment and see the picture that they make for us? Let's just consider for a moment how, how they relate. Jesus' mercy, his identity, who he is, fulfillment of prophecy, his authority. If I were to put a, a word bubble up here um, with some of the concepts, the phrases that we're used today, which one sticks out? Which, which doesn't seem to fit? It's going to be different for different people. Here, let me do this instead. Let's put a list of some of those, some of those same phrases in a list form. Which, which one almost looks like it doesn't belong? It's like a kid's, you know, where you show the picture to the kids. Which one doesn't, doesn't fit here? I'm sure we could get different answers. But to me, when I'm looking at this, I see, I see the word mercy. And I, I think what has amazed me as I've thought about Jesus' healing miracles is the pairing of both his authority, his power, his kingly, and yet his, his mercy, his care. It's his power 
coupled with his personal touch. Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David, who's bringing in the kingdom and will one day sit upon the throne. He's king, crowned with authority, the ability to command demons and storms and sickness with a word of power. And yet, he's a man who sleeps in a boat, who eats with sinners, who stoops to show mercy to the lowest and the weakest of society. That dichotomy is so, it's so unique. It's so unexpected. It's so beautiful. Jesus' healings perfectly demonstrate that he is both powerful and he is personal. And this contrast is also seen in the incarnation. What are we celebrating right now? As we approach Christmas and celebrate the coming of Jesus to earth as a baby, we're reminded both of Jesus' divinity and his humanity. Pastor Tim led us in song service. Sounds of wonder fill the sky. Look at your worship guide. With the songs of angels as the mighty prince of life shelters in a stable. Hands that set each star in place shaped the earth in darkness cling now to a mother's breast vulnerable and helpless. The son of God comes to earth as the son of man. What glorious mystery. Isaiah 9, 6-7 gives us one of the most hope-filled Christmas promises that highlights this remarkable juxtaposition. Isaiah 9, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Representing vulnerability, there's weakness. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is both mighty God and merciful healer. He is the prince of peace, the physician of souls. He's the rightful king to rule an everlasting kingdom. And yet he humbled himself to, to heal lepers, to hang around fishermen, to walk dusty roads, to seek and save the lost. This is Jesus. Can you imagine with me the most prestigious political official or, or, or you know, um, person of royalty? Whether it's this country or around the world, just imagine that person choosing to live with, not imagine that person choosing to, to live with those on death row in prison. You put them there? Choosing to, or choosing to live in like the, the poorest place of poverty in order to serve the, the needy there in that community. Philippians 2, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The beauty of what we've looked at today and the purpose of Jesus' healing ministry is highlighted by the fact that Jesus proved he is messianic authority and royal identity and fulfilled prophecy. He also displayed mercy and served the weak and the needy. So, who is weak and needy here today? 
or at home watching because you're sick and couldn't be here. It's a lot of you at home. It's not something that we like to admit, that we're weak, that we're needy. We don't need mercy or handouts. We're strong, we're independent. But in order to receive healing, each person in Matthew 8 and 9 had to admit that they were sick. They were in need of Jesus' help. Are you weak and needy here today? Are you weak this morning battling sin? You're really struggling to find victory. Come to Jesus. He has the authority to forgive sin and the mercy to restore you completely. He is a friend of sinner. He delights in seeking and saving the lost. Are you weak this morning battling sickness? Struggling to stay hopeful after yet another year of little progress? Come to Jesus, the great physician who has authority to heal you, and the mercy to sustain you and care for you in your pain. Are you weak this morning battling fear or worry? Struggling to trust God and his plan for your future? He's fulfilled prophecy. He holds the future in his hands. He has the authority, and yet he holds you in his hands of mercy. Are you weak this morning battling loneliness and struggling to make sense of the loss of a person that you loved? Come to Jesus. He is full of mercy and compassion. He alone can heal your heart, help you in your grief or sadness. I pray that this, these passages, these two chapters, would show you the beauty of Christ, the healer, Son of God, the Son of Man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are weak and needy whether or not we admit it. And we need the healing of a powerful God. We acknowledge that Jesus has all authority to forgive sin. He has authority to, to repair our broken bodies and give us physical healing. Not just that he has the authority and the power as the Son of God, but Jesus has, has mercy as the Son of Man. To, he's walked with us. He's sympathized with our weakness. He knows what we feel and he cares for us. And I pray that each one here today and those who aren't here today would know his compassion and his care in a real sense this Christmas season. We worship you as the shepherds did. We worship Emmanuel, God with us. And we pray in his name. Amen.